Welcome to Just Dow It, the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller. I'm the CEO of MyDAO, which provides legal entity solutions for DAOs, and I'm your host. Prior to starting MyDAO, I did consulting for people starting and operating DAOs, and I'm trying to bring some of that expertise and all the things I've learned and my guests have learned uh, to the audience. I want to welcome our guest. I'm going to have a policy of not doxing people, so I will let you dox yourself. Um, would you please give a brief introduction? And don't go into too many details yet, because we'll do that later. But uh, tell the audience who you are and, and what makes you uh, knowledgeable about DAOs. Thanks for having me, Adam. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, my name is Scott Mandel. Uh, I am the CEO and co-founder of Complex Labs, which is building an operating system for Web3 communities. Uh, I've had the privilege of being in the space for about eight years and I have built and contributed to, to several DAOs uh, and super excited for the road ahead and kind of web three version two. Awesome, awesome. And we'll get to the uh, difference between a, a DAO and a web three community later on the call or, or at least what that difference might be. Um, first up, we have the Just DAO It news report. And then after the first half of the podcast, we will turn for the second half to the featured guest interview of Scott. So here we go. The Just Dow It News Report. We are going to summarize all of these stories that I identified uh, for you, the audience, and for our guest. I'll share my reactions and hot takes. And then I will ask Scott if he has anything to add about each of these stories. And we're going to try to keep it on what is relevant about these stories to people starting DAOs. So, First story is uh, Dow Planet NYC, uh, a, a two-day conference by Taoists for Taoists, was held in New York City on June 24th and June 25th at Chelsea Music Hall. Uh, Scott and I were both in attendance, so I thought it'd be nice for us to share our uh, top takeaways and uh, 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 any other um, uh, takeaways for the audience. So uh, first of all, I'll share... Uh, in the talk that I gave, which was called What You Don't Know About DAOs, uh, I shared a few things that I think uh, most people uh, haven't heard yet or haven't, haven't necessarily noticed about DAOs unless you're very close to them. And my favorite uh, factoid is I think there are actually a lot more DAOs than people tend to think that there are. So if you go to one of the leading DAO data sources like deepdao.io, which is a fantastic resource, it lists uh, almost 5,000 DAOs in existence. And I decided to do a little research. So I took the 200 DAOs that I've spoken with uh, by virtue of my job at my DAO over the past few months. And one by one, I looked them up on deepdao.io to see if they were listed. And 96% of the DAOs I looked up were not listed. So basically 12 out of, or 94% were not listed, 12 out of the 200 were. So if you take the inverse of that and say, okay, what does that imply about how many DAOs there really are if they have 5,000, but 94% of the DAOs out there are not part of that 5,000, you actually get over 80,000 DAOs. So I think it's really interesting that what you see in the media and in the data sources really does not quite capture, does not at all capture what's happening in the DAO space today. Um, really, there are so many DAOs out there and a lot of them are startups. It's kind of like if you think about, you know, the classic uh, three people in a garage starting a Web2 startup. This is the maybe 10 or 20 people around the world in their Discord uh, starting a DAO. And uh, most of them, none of us have heard of yet, but, but maybe we will soon. Um, Beyond yeah, that, uh, yeah, go ahead, Scott. Following that up, I, I immediately I just thought of like all the people that were building tooling that I met at the conference and like something to discover DAOs 
um, it's it sorely needed. I mean, it, it's it's the wild, wild west out there. And, you know, you, for me, discovery of DAOs is limited to mainly Twitter, some some sharing in Discord or within my network. But, you know, if there are that many DAOs out there, like, how do you find them? Uh, it would be great to have, like, some type of more comprehensive directory. Yeah, for sure. And I know I saw one startup working on that uh, problem, I think it was called Dow HQ. Um, are there any other resources, Scott, that you can think of to recommend for the audience if that's the kind of thing they're looking for? You know, when I first started getting into Web3, I, you know, I come from a background of like uh, growth hacking and just kind of figuring things out. And um, when I wanted to get immersed into the right communities, I would find one or two people on Twitter that I thought were thought leaders in the space. And I would go to who they were following and I would literally just click through and follow all of those people until Twitter would not allow me to follow any more people, roughly around 100 people at a time. Uh, and there, I mean, you don't have to do the curation. They've done it for you and you can kind of uh, you know, go from there. That's such a great point. Um, so I, I was just reading some tweets this morning by a woman named Chase Chapman. And if you, if anyone Google yeah. uh, goes on Twitter and searches for Chase Chapman, that's one great person to follow. Another good one is the Dow News Report. Uh, of course, you also follow me at Zero X Thriller. And Scott, where can they follow you if they want to get on that right away? Just my name, at Scott Mandel uh, on Twitter. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's a great suggestion. All right, turning to the second story, another event uh, last week in New York City alongside NFT NYC was DAO NYC. Um, so first of all, I think it's just notable that there were two DAO events in New York in the same week alongside NFT NYC. Um, one was one day with two stages all day. The other one that we already talked about, DAO Planet, was uh, two days with one stage. Just so much great content, so many people interested in, in, in the topic, and uh, just so, so much learning. I'm really excited just to see which what events come up next. Um, did you have any key takeaways from uh, DAO NYC that you want to share with the audience as well, Scott? Some of the uh, the talks specifically, there was one about, uh, I think it was data and identity. Um, just that was kind of the theme for me over the week uh, at uh, NFT NYC. Uh, most of my time was spent, uh, you know, on the, at DAO conferences or networking. And I just saw this common theme of people realizing that, you know, version one of DAOs, we didn't get right. And there's a lot more that we can iterate on. And people are coming up with some really innovative solutions to solve some of the most pressing problems, problems that are really stifling innovation and stifling the ecosystem a bit. Uh, anything from identity uh, to, to better governance, to better tooling, um, really creative solutions, really smart people uh, working on these solutions. Uh, and I thought the panelists uh, at uh, Dow NYC were fantastic. And I'll expand a little bit on what you said about identity, because Web3 identity, or some people call it DID or distributed identity, um, is going to be really impactful for DAOs. And one of the reasons for that is that today's DAO tooling tends to allow for some kind of uh, either uh, one token, one vote, whether it's an NFT or a fungible token, uh, or it could even be one wallet, one vote. But it's very hard for a DAO to actually implement one human, one vote, because there really aren't great 
great mechanisms that are readily available on Web3 uh, to be able to assure that you, that you are giving each person exactly one vote. It's very easy for someone to go create multiple wallets and vote multiple times. And there, with so much innovation happening in the DID space, pretty soon it is going to be uh, a much easier for a DAO to implement a one human, one vote, even without doing something like KYC, where the DAO is actually verifying each person through their ID or their passport or something like that. Soon they'll be able to uh, make sure that each person is, is only voting exactly one time. So that, that could be really impactful for the, the possibilities in terms of how we govern DAOs. Yeah, I, I would even take it a step further. Do you actually want each individual to have one vote? And I think at a high level, you, you would say yes immediately. But once you kind of have experienced a DAO and, and been in the weeds, you realize a few things. One, um, there are uh, early members of the DAO that hold disproportionate amount of tokens. Um, and even if you were just to give them one vote, many times they're no longer contributors or active in the DAO, right? Um, whereas you have uh, more active members, you have people contributing and building on a, a very regular basis. And I would almost say like, we should weight voting more towards the people that are active. You know, even a little further, it's like there are various governance uh, issues that come up that are specific to certain skill sets. You know, maybe something has to do with development or investing or community, whatever it may be. And if if you have that particular skill set, maybe, maybe your vote's weighted. Maybe it carries a little more punch uh, rather than someone who doesn't necessarily have that skill set. So I think there's a lot of creative things that we can do. And I love seeing people working to solve these problems. It's almost like we have the opportunity to solve these problems, but people have been distracted. We, you know, the latest bull run, prices are going up, NFTs are going up. People are distracted by that. Maybe the bear market will allow us to focus, build and innovate uh, into some really creative solutions. Yeah, that's such a great point. Uh, that's certainly the feeling I got from all the events in New York uh, last week was uh, I don't think I met a single person who is really down in the dumps. I mean, none of us like losing 80% of our of our paper net worth. Um, but at the same time, everyone is just as motivated as ever and has as high conviction as ever that we are building the future and we're building really, really important tools um, that will have such a positive impact on, on humanity. And so as a result, I hear a lot of people saying, you know what, it's not a bear market, it's a build market. Uh, and that's what we're all really focused on right now. All right, next story. This is from Coindesk. And the headline is FTX token DAO raises $7 million from community of Sam Bankman Freed fans. So Sam Bankman Freed, if you don't know, is the founder of FTX. So he's a, a crypto billionaire, one of the leaders in the community. And what's happened here is without his prior knowledge, uh, a community of people who um, are passionate about uh, Sam Bankman Freed and his his approach and his philosophy and his companies, his products have gotten together and started their own DAO that is that's based around his name and that they're going to use it to contribute to community led projects across DeFi as well as crypto education. 
Um, so this DAO is totally independent of FTX and independent of Sam, although he's come out and said that he's supportive and he likes what they're doing. And what to me is really interesting about this is it reminds me of something called a vampire attack that we saw about a year ago in the NFT space. And the, the vampire attack was uh, a group, I think it was uh, Looks Rare. It was a, a new NFT marketplace that was going to be built that uh, did an airdrop to everyone who had ever participated on OpenSea. So they're basically saying every OpenSea customer, we're going to make you part of our community and give you governance rights and give you financial rewards for being part of uh, Looks Rare, if I have that right. And... What's really cool about that is, you know, never before in the history of competition has a company or a startup been able to say, you know what, I'm going to take all of the customers of Apple and I'm going to create a community for them and give them rewards and give them governance rights and something and then set something in motion, right? It's just not possible. There's no way to get the information about and the contact info about who are customers of Apple. But in the crypto world, you can do that. And so it's equally feasible to say, well, I want to take um, everyone who has used Sam Bankman's Freed's products, for example, I'm going to airdrop them tokens. They give them financial governance, utility or other rights, and I'm going to engage them in a project. And I I think what's really powerful about that is what it means for anyone who's working on any kind of crypto project or product is that if you don't start your own community, if you don't start your own DAO, someone else will come along and do it for you if it benefits them to do that. So if there's any reason for your customers to organize against you or with you or for any reason, you know, you better think about, what, you know, as, as a product owner, whether you want to do that before someone else and, and, and pulls off a vampire DAO or, or vampire attack, vampire DAO attack. Uh, against uh, against your community <laughs> yeah I, I think uh my belief is that community is the great differentiator in this space um i think the two different examples you saw of opportunists in both the dow space and in the nft market space using on-chain data to create a community is great, right? But like, how do you parse that data? How do you come to realizations that other people aren't coming to? Like, looks rare was super creative, right? Like, if I'm going to start a NFT marketplace and I know who uh, my competitor is and I can directly reach out to, to their customers, that's great. OpenSea probably hated that, and there's no way to really def defend against that. Uh, on the other side, SBF, like having a community around him, that's that's a positive, right? Like, he has if he if he agrees with what they're doing, like he can sit by and only support that. I guess my question is, what if he did not agree with what this FTX DAO is doing? How would that play out? Is there legal repercussions? I don't know. I mean, uh, but I do think in both cases, using on-chain data to grow communities and to gain insights is only going to become more valuable moving forward. Yeah, great point. And I confirmed it. It is looks rare. That, that was the right organization. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, next article is from Forbes. And the headline is Decentralized Autonomous Organization, DAO, for cryptocurrency alleged to be a general partnership in Sarkuni. And this is about a protocol called BZX, which was run by a DAO. And we're going to talk about this in some of our other uh, episodes as well, um, partly because the legal side of DAOs is something that uh, my DAO, my company, is so focused on. Um, what's happening here is another DAO is being sued, 
but who's really being sued are the members of the DAO because the DAO doesn't have a legal entity. It doesn't have any kind of official um, form in the eyes of the law. And so it's being treated as the default type of organization, which is a general partnership where the members of that organization, right, all the participants can be held individually liable for the actions of the organization. So this is just another example of why um, getting legal advice or at least forming a legal entity is a really important step for, for any DAO to take. Yeah, I, I think that area is 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 super unclear. Like uh, in terms of like, are you a contributor? Are you a member of, of a DAO? Like, I don't know if you go into a Discord, are, are you now a member of that DAO? Um, I, I guess it really depends, right? If you're obviously if you're contributing, you're getting paid. Uh, I think the argument's pretty clear. But where is where do you cross the line? Uh, and when are you leaving yourself open to potential liability? And I think in this next iteration of DAOs, I think we're going to want to err on the side of caution. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunists that may conduct these types of lawsuits. Uh, and also when we when DAOs start crossing over into the real world, like, you know, right now, there's not a lot of examples of DAOs doing business in the real world. Like when you do business in the real world, like they have to be able to send you money. You have to be able to write a contract, right? Like these are real world problems that just don't go away because we're, you know, painting this picture of a, you know, a new new world. So uh, I think we're going to see a massive move into legalized DAOs. I've heard the term Lao. Is that is that a hmm. thing? Have you heard Lao? Uh, I have heard of Lao, and now I'm trying to remember what what it stands for. Do you it, know? Legal autonomous organization. So mm. you just like drop the D and like add an L. Um, I'm not sure if that terminology is going to stick or, or what is the, the right terminology, but uh, I think it's super important if you're going to be you know, a contributor in Web3 and you're going to call that your profession uh, and you're going to build and interact with the real world, it's probably worth spending a, a few thousand dollars to make sure you're not leaving yourself open to some type of liability. Yeah, I've also heard about dues, decentralized organizations, which are like uh, more of the traditional cooperative, for example, that maybe isn't using the blockchain, but is more of a traditional type of decentralized organization. And, you know, you could look at some DAOs today and say, well, are they really DAOs or are they really dues? And I don't know if due is going to take off. It seems a little bit uh, loaded of a term um, uh, compared to DAO is, is pretty unique, but uh, it's an interesting yeah. one, too. Dues doesn't really have a nice ring to it. Yeah, exactly. That sounds weird. <laughs> yeah, I agree. All right. Next story is from Cointelegraph. Less than 1% of all holders have 90% of the voting power in DAOs. So, um, you know, this is interesting. And, and I mean, one of the things that Cointelegraph says uh, in the article that I certainly cannot disagree with is that decentralized autonomous organizations, DAOs, have become a rage in the ever-expanding crypto ecosystem and are often seen as the future of decentralized corporate governance. Um, so I certainly agree uh, with, with that assessment and, and embedding my, my life and my career on it as well. Um, uh, and so it, it is important that we think about, you know, the distribution of power and what its implications are. Um, what this article uh, asks or poses is, you know, is it a problem that power is so concentrated in such a small number of hands? And um, I think, you know, one of the reactions I had right away to this article was actually to take the statistic with a little bit of a grain of salt because it's heavily weighted by the biggest DAOs. 
right? So um, if you look at a DAO that has, let's say, $300 million in assets under management, like one of the main protocol DAOs, um, you know, and, and that DAO has, you know, 1% of the holders holding 9% of the voting power. You might also have 10,000 DAOs that have $100,000 in the bank, where that's not the case at all. And, and yet there, the, that data is going to be totally overwhelmed um, by the, out, the outliers, which are these huge DAOs where maybe the power is extremely uh, concentrated. That said, you know, I, I do think it raises a really interesting a question about DAO governance, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of one human, one vote being a capability that's that's coming onto the scene, you know, um, as we develop these new these new systems, you know, do we want to take actions that, uh, you know, that shift the power structure from what it looks like in TradFi or in the traditional world of business? And um, I don't have, I certainly don't have the answers to that right now, but I think it's something that anyone starting a DAO or anyone joining a DAO should, should certainly think about. You know, one of the often overlooked, but incredibly important parts of starting a DAO is that token model. Now, before I'm a firm believer, before you even get to the token model, you start with a community and then you move uh, into a DAO if it makes sense. But like creating a token model is difficult. Like that is a major undertaking. There are people that build careers and businesses doing that and expecting someone that's relatively new to Web3 to to take that on is, is, is a big ask. Like there are a lot of unknown unknowns to them in terms of what are the repercussions of this specific token model for what I'm trying to do? Is this the right model or is there a better one? And ultimately, I feel like very early on, there's such a, especially during like a bull run, like there's a rush to have a token event without really thinking through what the token utility is, uh, does it align incentives? And for me personally, I, I do think, you know, going back to that article, that there is a major problem. I don't think it's fair that, you know, just because you, you started the DAO or you were early to the DAO, that you're going to have a disproportionate amount of voting rights. You know, that doesn't seem in line with what we're trying to build in, in this new paradigm here. It seems to me that we can do better. It seems to me like we should have a smarter voting system where if, if you're not contributing, maybe maybe your vote isn't one anymore. Maybe it's a half. Or maybe if you're contributing at a extra a, you know a top level, maybe your vote counts for you know two to one. I don't know. There's a lot of different models that I think we need to kind of play with and see what works. Yeah. And you know I think I think you have to balance that with the power of, of capitalism and free markets too, because if I if I imagine a world, which I know is not the world we live in, but if I imagine a world where everyone has a moderate amount of money and then you're allowed to buy into various DAOs that control various things in our society, um, then you're going to probably buy more into the things you care more about and less into the things you don't care as much about or maybe that you don't know as much about. And so you end up with people having more governance rights over the things that are more important to them. And that's actually really valuable. Uh, but in a world where the distribution of wealth is uh, disparate between the haves and the haves nots, of course, you end up with the wealthy people having control over everything and the poor people having control over nothing. So I think it's a really interesting problem to try to figure out how to how to balance those two things. 
Um, the next story is uh, related to the one we just talked about. So this is one example of a, a major DAO where uh, a single voter actually has so much power that it's almost impossible for the community to counteract that voter. And this is from Solend, which is a lending platform from the Solana ecosystem. Um, and I hear a lot of uh, a lot of things coming out of Solana seems like on a pretty regular basis that seem like uh, challenges for that ecosystem to overcome. Um, and this is just another one. Uh, what happened here is because of the market crash that's been happening over the last several months, uh, the Solend product had one account that was so big that had borrowed so much money uh, then that account was approaching the point where its position was going to be liquidated. And if that position was liquidated, those assets were automatically going to be sold on the open market. And selling that much assets on the open market would have completely collapsed the system. So it's kind of like a too big to fail uh, type of situation. And what happened was the, uh, the Solan team uh, had one member who made a proposal to take over this person's account and change the uh, nature of the loan, uh, basically pre-liquidate it and start liquidating it early to slowly start selling assets onto the market and, and reduce the, the a point at which it would be completely liquidated. And uh, you know, my first reaction when I heard this the other day was, wow, that just doesn't sound very DeFi if you know, the, the people uh, who made a protocol, even if it's the whole community, is going to take away someone's uh, account uh, just because it's going to harm the system. You know, that sounds like TradFi. That sounds like what we're trying to build ourselves out of and away from. Um, but what was interesting here was it was proposed by a team member. Uh, that person voted with a million votes. Uh, there were only 30,000 votes against. And so this vote passed. Now, really quickly, this got a lot of press. A lot of people heard about it. And there was so much uproar against this person and this team doing that, uh, that they had a new proposal to cancel the original proposal. And the team went along with kind of the wishes of the public and said, OK, we're not going to do this. And prices are starting to go up anyway. So maybe it's, it's not as important. Um, but it's, it's a really good example of you know, how these systems that we think are decentralized sometimes are not as decentralized as we think. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what whatever happened to code is law, right? Like, we're going to break things as we innovate. Uh, we're going to overlook, uh, you know, the tail uh, end of the curve here when we do have massive price movements, especially in DeFi. When you have, you know, liquidity issues, when you have that those black swan events, you're going to get stress tested. Do I, I, do I understand why they try to do that? Absolutely. Like, is it in the best interest of the ecosystem? Questionable. It's in the best interest of someone financially, absolutely. But, you know, I, I think in building all of these DeFi applications, we're going to get a lot of things wrong. And I think we're going to constantly iterate on those things to make things uh, better in every, every version of DeFi that comes out. So, I don't know. I, I would have been. It would have been more interesting to see prices continue to go down than to see the rebound and to see what actually the fallout of that was. Um, you know, in, in some ways, I feel like over the last couple of weeks, especially with I guess we bounced over the last week or so here, but before that, I kind of looked like you know the end of uh, Fight Club, where like they're just like looking out over to like the the world kind of crashing down, and like you start to see these like untouchable entities all of a sudden faltering you know what we, we build back stronger after every 
every crash. So I, I kind of like the, to live the motto of like, if it's going to fail, let it fail. And mm-hmm. like, we'll build back better rather than trying to save things uh, cool. in the world of crypto. All right. Last story before we turn to the uh, guest interview segment of our podcast is from Yahoo Finance. And the headline is Chase Chapman on DAOs and professional polyamory. Chase says, people always talk about DAOs enabling polyamorous work. And another comment in the article is, it makes sense in the modern world where more and more people are turning to non-monogamous relationships in their personal lives, acknowledging that it can take more than one person to meet another's full set of needs. Why not take this attitude from the bedroom to the workplace? So in case anyone has not heard the term uh, polyamory, it means uh, people who are not monogamous and instead will have pods of uh, several people all in love uh, having relations with each other. And the term now is being taken over to the workplace where uh, thanks uh, partly to the nature of DAOs, uh, it is easier than ever to live what maybe we used to call the gig economy, um, which is people working for uh, multiple employers and splitting their time between a lot of different projects. Uh, any reactions to that, Scott? You know, um, closely related to that, I've actually heard of people, uh, especially during COVID, with everything being remote, having multiple full-time jobs uh, and just balancing that behind the scenes or even like hiring contractors to help. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the nature of DAOs enables you to contribute to projects that you're interested in, projects that um, may be personal passions, may just be you know relative to your skill set. Uh, I think that makes total sense. It also keeps organizations or, or communities or DAOs, whatever you want to call them, um, accountable. Like you better be moving forward. You better be you know online on target with your vision. Or otherwise, this contributor is just going to find something else to, to scratch that itch. If, if it's a passion or pay that bill, if it's a, uh, a way to you know, make money. So I think it makes total sense. I think in general, most contributors I know to DAOs uh, contribute across many DAOs. I think there's a cap there. I think it's really difficult to contribute to, say, contribute to more than, say, three. I think that's more of an infrastructure problem. But yeah, I, I think we only have one shot. We have one life here, right? Like you want to live your life building and working on something that excites you and, and makes you passionate. Yeah. All right. Let's turn to the featured guest interview segment of the podcast. So first question for you, Scott, is uh, would you tell us about your background and how you got into Web3 and DAOs? Man, I think everyone that kind of like goes into crypto kind of has like an interesting story. And I, I love telling mine because it's, it's, it's totally random. I was living in Chicago at the time and a friend asked me to go to coffee and he looks across the table and says, I'd like to borrow as much money as possible and I'll pay you 10%. And, and I look at him and immediately I thought he was just in trouble. I thought he had, had a gambling <laughs> problem or he was in trouble with the wrong people, whatever it was. Uh, but he was talking about, um, Ethereum, uh, Ethereum ICO, blockchain, all these words I didn't understand. Um, but I had realized, you know, previously I, I had heard about Bitcoin when Bitcoin was, you know, two, three, four dollars. And I wrote it off, made a young man's mistake saying, you know what, I don't understand this. I think it's a scam. So when I heard this, 
uh, I was more receptive. And I said, okay, let's let's take a shot. Let's let's trust this person knows what they're doing. They're a smart person, trust them, just go with it. And so I so started my journey into crypto. Um, that was, I guess it was 2015 or 14, whatever, whatever that was. And really just kind of fell in love with the space. I was at a point in my life where I didn't really know where things were going. Like, you know, career wise, I wasn't really happy, uh, but fell in love with this. Obviously, you know, price started going up. I started meeting more people uh, in Chicago at the time and started becoming kind of a community manager of sorts. Um, from there, I really wanted to branch out and see what else I could do in the space. So I started sourcing power and infrastructure um, for publicly traded miners, found myself in the Arctic Circle, you know, eating elk and reindeer with a goblet of red wine, thinking like, <laughs> hey, I made it. This is great. Uh, quick realization, uh, gut check, uh, market crashes. No one wants to do mining anymore. You know, it instantly became not a business to be in. So kind of reset, phone rang again. Uh, hey, would you help us um, bring our business into the world of crypto? We have solved point of sale uh, for crypto where we can facilitate payments at a cash register. And uh, that company was called Flexa. I led their fundraising round and built their community. And then for me, it really became like, you know, where do I see everything going? And took some time off and really realized that I mentioned this earlier that the biggest differentiator in this space is going to be community in a world where you can copy and paste code, you know, look at DeFi summer where all of these different swap protocols, you know, just forked each other, you know, uh, sushi swap just forked Uniswap and then all of the other swap protocols pop up. But what's left standing after, you know, DeFi is not the flavor of the month anymore. It's the ones with strong communities, with strong vision, with strong processes, all of that. So I really, dove into that that world, which is now called Web3, uh, started building DAOs, uh, started contributing to DAOs, uh, was a community manager of a DAO, um, and it just became incredibly frustrated. Uh, I thought everything was uh, super fragmented, super hard to get things done. There was no efficiencies. So from there, I kind of had some ideas, uh, and I started consulting in the world of Web3 and Web2, Web3, you know, your traditional, um, I have an idea, I want to decentralize or, or break, you know, Netflix or whatever. So started doing that, realized that like, hey, we lack a lot of infrastructure to facilitate that. But really was interested in Web2, the idea that, you know, Web3 is going to get big because Web2 is going to see an opportunity and kind of flood into the space. Did a lot of consulting there uh, as well and quickly realized that, you know, there is a very common uh, need for infrastructure in both Web3 and Web2 to build and operate sustainable communities. So Complex Labs was born, which is an operating system for Web3 communities. We've aggregated all the tools that you would need to run an efficient community into one easy-to-use spot. And then we've even added an SDK where people can build a unique solution to their community tech stack. Uh, and then from there... We even uh, want to start working on identity and tracking some of the contribution through these these tools and actually put that into a soulbound token, which we refer to as a community passport, and, and try to really help make the ecosystem more efficient. Let's dig into uh, this concept of Web3 communities. Um, what is the difference between a DAO and a Web3 community? 
Yeah. So one of my pet peeves in this space is terminology. Uh, I think it really makes makes it inaccessible to the everyday person. So if I ask the everyday person, what's Web3? Even people within the, the space, what's Web3? You're going to get a, a very different answer. If I ask someone what an NFT is, I'm going to get a very different answer. I'm going to, if I ask someone what the metaverse is, I'm going to get a very different answer. If I ask someone what a DAO is, I'll get a very different answer. So a DAO, by the letter of the law, is a decentralized autonomous organization. Uh, in practice, most, most communities are actually not DAOs. Uh, they are, most of them are not on-chain. Uh, most of them conduct governance in a very informal setting. It could be as simple as emojis in, in, a, in a Discord. Uh, there is uh, kind of a middle ground, which I think most self-identifying DAOs live in. Uh, and then on the polar opposite side, there's just communities on Discord or, or Slack or Discourse, or wherever, wherever they may live. So one thing that I... I like to say is the Web3 communities and DAOs are just a subset of a Web3 community. Uh, and you mentioned, uh, is it dues? Do yeah. Decentralized dues. organizations. Like that, yeah. that's, a, that's a subset, right? And DAOs, when you tell that to the everyday person, like they don't get it. it it's very difficult for them to understand. And in reality, like it's not what we practice. Like most communities that you're in aren't officially DAOs. They live in this middle space. Interesting. Okay. So communities still do some governance sometimes, but that doesn't make them organizations. Is that a fair uh, sum summary too? Uh, so like, let's, let's use an example. Like if I have a discord and, you know, I'm, I'm aggregating people towards this greater vision, like, is it decentralized? Not really. Uh, is it autonomous? Hmm. Not most of it is it an organization. Yeah, it's an organization. Sure. Okay. So, so I, I think we have a long way to go, especially with the autonomous part of, of DAO. Like, you know, human nature, I think is the limiting factor there. Like it's, it's tough to get people to follow the framework, follow the processes that we're trying to establish in DAOs. So I, I think we all live in this gray area, which is fine. But I, I think we should acknowledge it and say, okay, like DAOs are more of like uh, a brand in a sense, right? Like, uh, mm. like Kleenex. It's kind of like like Kleenex. It's a tissue, mm. but you know, it, it kind of people use it interchangeably. Yeah, interesting. Okay, all right. So you mentioned Complex Labs, uh, the project you're working on now. Would you tell us a bit more about Complex Labs? What is the product you're building, and what problems does it solve? So slight chill here for complex labs, like, you know, my personal experience in, in DAOs has been one of frustration. Uh, I think if, if you're in three communities, you know, each community has a different way of doing things. You use different tools and within each community, you're creating, you know, creating value, whatever that may be. It may be a project, maybe you're throwing events, it may be you're solving problems through governance. So within each community, like all of this interesting data is being created. And ultimately, when you go from community A to community B, none of that really goes with you. Like if you're a awesome contributor to, let's say, Forefront, uh, which is a great DAO in the space, 
and then you go over to FWB, like people may, some people may know you, but like, there's no like way to verify what you did. Right. And some of the problems that we have in DAOs are related to efficiency, which is directly related back to like, who are the people in your, in your community? Like when you want to get things done, who are the best people to put into those roles? And right now we have no real way to like understand that. So when I was building complex labs, the, the first variant of this was just an aggregation of tooling. Like every DAO needs certain tools to be effective, to, to run. And that, those tools uh, are communications, it's project management, uh, it's, it's governance and proposals, and then understanding who your members are. Everyone needs that, right? But then on top of that, like things need to be a little more specific to uh, each, each community. But what we realize is like all this tooling is actually just a way to aggregate data. So if you are contributing to a, a, a community and you're doing a project, let's say you're building a website and you're providing front end design services, well, that's valuable data. Like, so why not automatically track that and put that into what people are referring to as a, a soul bound NFT? This a on-chain representation of who you are what you've done in the space, what your skills are, your reputation, your your contribution. So, you know, we started with the idea of tooling, but realized that tooling enables the ability to, I guess, have these soul bound NFTs. We call it a community passport. So you can take that reputation or those skill sets from community A to B to C, so on and so forth. Very cool. Sounds really useful. Um, Let's talk a bit about your experience with DAOs and or Web3 communities. Um, you know, could you talk about some of the DAOs that you've been involved in and maybe some of the challenges that those DAOs faced, especially in their early years? Yeah, so I think it's super specific. So like we live in a world of crypto right now where it used to only be like you know, a few big players. But now you have these like these segments of the markets, right? Like you have... DAOs that are investment DAOs, you have DAOs that are service DAOs, you have NFT DAOs, you have metaverse DAOs, um, and then you just have, you know, communities of sorts. So uh, I remember my first experience in a DAO, it was with, uh, it was Forefront. Um, I, I jumped into Forefront and I had, I, I had no clue. I had, I had no idea what was going on. But there was someone within that organization that said, hey, let's get on the phone. I'll explain everything to you for 15 minutes. Like really like started the journey, right? So immediately, like I realized like onboarding is a major pain point across all, all DAOs, right? Like conveying your message, your vision and, and finding the right people to attract to it is, is very difficult. Like Right now, how it's done is, uh, you know, you go into a Discord and it's like, you know, start here. And it's just like a block of text that you read. Like, I think we should do it better. Um, so, you know, in, in Forefront, like, I think that onboarding process was great. Um, from there, I became uh, the community manager of a DAO called CanuDAO. Uh, CanuDAO um, is the uh, community manager for Juicebox. Uh, people may know Juicebox because Juicebox was um, kind of the, the DAO builder that was used for Constitution DAO. 
So Canu Dow was just a, a group of community experts that were working together to build tooling, to solve problems, to, to, to create services all around like community growth, discord servers, and just uh, general strategy in, in theory. And, you know, within there, it became um, as, as smart as the people were, like getting people to work together, having everyone on the same page, uh, keeping people accountable. That was tough. And I think that's, I think that's tough across many DAOs. I think there, there isn't really like, like repercussions for not meeting a deadline. Like in the real world, if you have a deadline and you don't meet it, your boss is going to call you and be like, Adam, where's this? Oh, you know, sorry. I, I went to the beach. You know, it's like, <laughs> it just, it just doesn't fly. Right. Like, and I guess there's like a fine line, right? DAOs are supposed to be, you know, uh, contribution and you, you can kind of, you know, work to whatever capacity you'd like to, but when you don't meet that goal and deadline, it's not just you failing, it's the rest of the organization failing, right? Like people are dependent upon you meeting that goal, whether it's for the next step in a project or just like the general vibe, like vibe, like this whole idea of vibe within DAOs is like not something you can really like explain. I'll, I'll try, but it, it, it's so, it's so important. Like when everyone's humming and everyone's like moving in the direction, like there's just this cool like energy, right? Like we're all coming together. We're building for this general purpose that we all believe in and it's great. And when it's bad, it's just the opposite. Like, like we're stagnant. We're not moving. So having some tooling in place to kind of like understand that vibe and kind of like, you know, move people in the right direction is important. Uh, and then I recently I built a, a community, a Web3 community. that They want it to be a DAO. Uh, and maybe someday it will be for uh, a company called Ticker. Uh, which is a subsidiary of um, Watchbox, which is the largest watch marketplace in the world. And they wanted to do asset-backed NFTs and create this vibrant community around watches. And like, didn't know a lot about watches, but like, man, these watch watch enthusiasts are passionate people. They want to talk shop all day long. And like, it became like, how do you leverage the community to do various things? And what, this is, a slight, slight tangent here, but what I realized in the world of Web3, the communities that are successful amplify each other. And I think the best example of that is Ape Follow Ape for Board Ape Yacht Club. Like, I believe the reason they were so successful is because you would go on Twitter and like post your PFP and like the hashtag Ape Follow Ape, and now you have a thousand new followers. And every time you tweet, they're retweeting. So like your voice just became amplified. And I think when we look back at this whole cycle objectively, the people and communities that were most successful lifted each other up. Not only a shared interest, but but the the visions, the ideas, the blogs, the, the tweets, whatever it was, everyone lifted each other up within those communities. Um, so I think that is a model we need to replicate. That is sustainable. That is value. Yeah, I've heard a lot of DAOs talk about vibes and vibe checks. And I think maybe the analog in the traditional corporate world is culture. And, and we're really talking about organizations having strong cultures. Is that fair? 
Yeah, I, I think that's uh, yeah, I think that's an analog for sure. I, I think things are a little different when you're in a Discord than when you're in a uh, you know a, mm. an office setting. So there's like this like intangible, but yeah, I, I think culture is uh, culture vibe or synonymous. Yeah. And one thing I'll talk about a lot on, on this show is I think a lot of the things that traditional businesses need to be successful, DAOs need to, and, and we often forget about those things. So whether it's culture or vi vibes, or we're talking about leadership or some kind of uh, processes, right? Structure, you mentioned earlier, accountability, um, all of these uh, policies, even standards, right? I mean, these are all things that can be really useful. And I think DAOs have to figure out how to balance this very kind of decentralized ethos or philosophy with a willingness to leverage certain capabilities and traditions from the business world if they want to be most successful. Yeah, I think that's it's it's so funny to me that that goes overlooked quite a bit. It's like, believe it or not, Web2 organizations did a pretty good job, right? Like that it like Facebook or or YouTube, whoever, like they've built some pretty amazing products using a structure, using a framework, using processes, using infrastructure, using ways to hold people accountable. Like maybe instead of writing all of that off and starting from scratch, we embrace some of that. And I think from my experience in this space, we get so far ahead of ourselves. We see, we see the top of the mountain. And we see, you know, the rosy picture that it could be, but to get there, like we're, we need to take the first step. And that first step should be learning from things that have worked in the past, not reinventing the wheel. Yeah, totally. Are there any challenges you faced recently with DAOs or that you've seen that uh, have been interesting and that people might be able to learn from your experience? Yeah, I, I was in a DAO recently that lost its funding. Um, so, you know, one thing that I, uh, I think when we spoke at the panel at Dow planet, I mentioned that DAOs are not sustainable. Like many DAOs just don't have, uh, business models and, and, and ways to, you know, make revenue. Like to be honest, like that's a problem. Like you're, if you want to have something that's sustainable and can stand the test of time, like you need to figure out, figure out a way to make money to pay people so they can pay their rent and put food on the table. Uh, in this particular case, the Dow lost funding. I believe it was largely like a, a mistake in a proposal or a governance pro, um, uh, proposal that, you know, had to be yes or no. And like the yes was increase in funding and, and no wasn't like this where you are now. It was no funding. So I think it was a mistake. So like kind of this like, uh, you know, a shock and all of a sudden, like you have to really rally the troops and, you know, do this like guttural check. Okay, well, how do we, how do we move forward? And I think that's a big problem in DAOs. Like you can't just be there to be there. I think we need to build things that are sustainable. Uh, I think we need to figure out uh, revenue models. Um, and these revenue models cannot be, you know, the, the 10,000 uh, PFP, drop on open sea like that's that's not going to work anymore that 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 has come and gone like what's next how do we how do we figure that out yeah for sure um scott what advice do you have for people starting DAOs today 
you got to crawl before you walk, before you run. And I, and I think before, before a DAO, like there's a, it's a chicken or egg problem, right? Like, do you have the DAO first or do you have the community first? And the more that I'm in this space, I think you need to have a community first. I think you need to build a vibrant community. Uh, you need to find like-minded people. You need to establish kind of what your mission, what your vision is. Make sure you work together. Understand that there needs to be leaders uh, in, in, in a DAO. And, you know, as decentralized as a DAO is, like leaders will naturally manifest. And like, it's not always something you should fight. So I'd say start with a community, build a community. Once it gets to, there's no real number. It's more of like a, it's like a feel like, Hey, you know, this is the direction that we all want to go. We have the right people in place. Like, what does this look like as a DAO? How could we monetize this? How could we, you know, how do we grow this? And I think if you're having those discussions, like maybe it is time to create a DAO, but I don't think you need to rush to issue tokens. I don't think you need to rush to solve governance. Governance is Governance is tough. I mean, in the early stages, like there's no shame in having, you know, a, a private channel within your Discord server where people can just throw up an emoji. Like, here's what I want to do. And like, it's like a, a green check or like a red X. And like, that's your vote. Like, that's okay. It doesn't have to be on chain. Like on chain is, it, it's more difficult. It, it requires technical know-how. It requires things that are like, you can't roll back after you issue your like your smart contracts, right? So mm-hmm. you might as well like take your time. Uh, there's there's really no rush to to issue tokens and, and kind of move into a DAO. Um, enjoy being a community before you complicate things. Yep, makes sense. Um, aside from the tool that you're building, do you have any favorite or least favorite tools that you see people using to run DAOs? So the obvious one is like Discord, right? Like Discord has just become like home base for DAOs. Uh, I think it's home base because it is it enables a lot of the features that we we need. But like Discord is just horrible, horrible, horrible at letting you stay engaged or keeping you engaged in a particular community. Um, it's tough. Like for example, my Discord has forty servers. In each server, there might be 50 channels. It's impossible to keep up with the ins and outs across all these communities. And you end up, at least I end up, I end up like the top three on my left, the left sidebar. Like I'm constantly readjusting those. And those are the ones that I look at. Everything else has that little red circle with like 200 on it, like 200 messages that were at everyone at here. So Discord, like love it and hate it. Tooling that brings people together and standardized processes are, are, are things that I, I think that we need. Uh, like things like Snapshot, like it's just, it's Snapshot, it's it's easy. Most, a lot of people use it. Um, Nose is safe, just kind of be default for treasury, things like that. Um, uh, another one, Coordinate is kind of cool. Like, I don't, I don't think it's 100% right, but I think it's kind of cool in terms of like, you know, uh, it allows you as a group to determine uh, the value of contribution across a certain project. Uh, I think that's a step in the right direction. But I think there's a lot of interesting tooling being built. It's just a matter of, are we building new SaaS models here? Are these tooling, are these tools going to sell into DAOs? 
How are they going to monetize? Selling into a DAO through a governance process really sounds horrible. <laughs> it sounds really <laughs> bad to me. So how, how do you monetize these things? How do you, how do you scale them? Uh, I think these are all super big questions, but the long-winded answer is like anything that unites the ecosystem, I, I like that. Awesome. And uh, any favorite DAOs that you'd recommend audience to check out? It's a good question. So I'm a member of FWB, which has so much going on that it's tough to keep up with all the alpha. Like, I think that's, if you want to spend a few bucks, I think it's 75 tokens just to get a membership, which I think is sub $1,000 right now. I think you actually have to apply to as well, but I, I think that's that's a good one. If you're just getting started, I've mentioned Forefront a few times. I think that's really good. Uh, I, I've been learning more about Orca Protocol, um, that DAO. I, I think you mentioned Chase Chapman as a part of. Um, I, I think they're doing some really interesting with uh, things with pods. Uh, and then if you're just looking for like kind of cool implementation of DAOs, uh, LinksDAO is kind of cool if you're in a golf, like you're trying to buy a golf course. I think that's interesting. Krausehaus, they just had a, a pretty awesome uh, event in NYC for the conference where they had like a, a basketball court that was like representative of NFTs that I think you would get one of the pieces of the basketball court. So like DAOs that are bridging that gap, you know, moving into the real world, doing real things, like those are super interesting. Um, but those are some ones that I, I keep tabs on. Awesome. All right, Scott, where can people find you and your project on the web and on social? Twitter is a great spot to reach out to me, uh, at Scott Mandel. Um, I still use LinkedIn. Uh, I know Web3 people, not big on LinkedIn, but I, I still use it. So feel free to reach out there. Complex Labs uh, has a Discord server uh, as well as a website. You can check out the website, complexlabs.co. Uh, feel free to jump on the Discord server and strike up a conversation. We're trying to build an awesome community of builders uh, and Web3 enthusiasts throughout this bear market. So we're trying to help each other and lift each other up. Awesome. And for everyone in the audience, you can find me as 0xThriller on Twitter. Um, MyDAO is MyDAODS on Twitter and MyDAO.org. It's M-I-D-A-O.org. Uh, please consider liking us or leaving us a review on whatever podcast app or on YouTube. Uh, send me your questions on Twitter or in the comments that I should ask future guests. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Adam, appreciate you. Absolutely. And uh, for the audience, are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just DAO it. Just Dow It is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Just Dow It does not contain any legal or financial advice. My Dow also does not provide legal or financial advice, and nor does your host, yours truly.